0: In our culture, everything is based on success. But what is success and who to find it? That's the big question. Is it measurable? Can you obtain it? Can you dream it? Can you hold it? I'm on a quest to redefine how we view success and I'd like to bring you on this journey. Welcome to be fulfilled. Welcome to episode number 30 of the Be Fulfilled Show, the real stories behind success. My name is Tony Grubmeyer, and if we took money off the table, what would your answer be? Well, today's guest, after hosting the Art of Charm podcast for 11 years and over 4 million downloads, didn't have a great split. It didn't work out so well, but the story does have a happy ending. We're going to be talking today to Jordan Harbinger. Recently launched his brand new show, The Jordan Harbinger Show. It's already on the top of iTunes doing amazing after his first month 1.4 million downloads throughout his career as a host. Jordan has interviewed the likes of Russell Brand, Shaquille O'Neal, Simon Sinek, Tony Hawk, Larry King, Mike Rowe, and many more. A former Wall Street attorney, Jordan speaks five languages and has spent several years abroad in Europe and the developing world, including South America, Eastern Europe, and the Middle East. He has also worked for various governments and NGO overseas, traveled throughout war zones, and even been kidnapped twice. He'll tell you the only reason he's still alive and kicking is because of his ability to talk his way in and out of just about any situation. Please welcome to the show today's guest, Jordan Harbinger.
1: Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate the
0: opportunity. Man, I'm excited for you to be here today. The the same question I ask every single guest, I'd love your definition of success.
1: Sure. Man, this is a tough one because it evolves over time. You know. I think that it's really easy to, when you're first starting off, think like, oh, well, when I have a seven figure business or something like that. But after making multiple seven figure businesses, I realized, all right, well, once you have certain level of stability, you start looking for things like how many people am I impacting? And whenever I look at people who are much further along in the business side than me, You know, people have nine figure, eight figure businesses. They're always looking to make more impact that isn't just with their products. So I will say that success for me is measured in impact, which is, it used to sound like a fluffy way of saying I don't make enough money to be successful in the money department. So let's talk about impact. But now I really do believe that it is impact. But of course, there's kind of a hard, plateau in the graph, right? Like if you can't pay your mortgage, then success is when I start making money to pay my mortgage. But once you hit a certain point where you can have sushi once a week or whatever you want to do, and you're paying for your mortgage and your kids aren't wondering where the college fund's going to come from, you should make the shift to impact as soon as possible. Because I just know too many guys and girls for that matter that have worked really hard, gotten loaded, and then been like, this is a waste of time. And I should have started doing something more impactful a decade ago. And they- they feel like they're making up for lost time just like all of us that are not making a million bucks a month or whatever your goal is feel like we're making up for lost time in that department so you got to make sure all those cups are full if that makes sense
0: no it does thank you jordan i mean i think when you talk about impact in the whole bucket of success there's a lot of things we could chunk down to being intentional too with your time and doing the things that you love i just want to go back to your childhood for a moment i don't stick in your childhood for long but What kind of student were you growing up? Just paint the picture for the audience. We're going to take a step up success mountain today. What kind of student were you growing
1: up? Interesting question. Yeah, when I was young, I was was the kid in elementary school who would get in trouble all the time, but then would take the test and crush it. And the teacher knew that I was maybe bored, but then I got to middle school and I would get in trouble all the time and I would take the test and not crush it. And then the teacher was like, oh, you're just a screw up. And then I got to high school and I would take the test and not get in trouble. And I was a pretty good student again. And then I got to college and I realized, oh, crap, everyone's smart. So I have to outwork everyone. So I, my competitive advantage shifted from I'm naturally smart and can figure out the stuff on the test to I can outwork everyone because they're all getting drunk you know, 24-7 and I'm actually the one studying and going to class. So it was hit or miss. And in a lot of areas, I realized too late, of course, but I realized that teachers were wrong about stuff and that had never occurred to me. For example, I got C's and a C minus in French, which was the equivalent of an F in my school, you know, talk about grade inflation, but I did not do well in French class. And I thought, I'm not good at languages. And so then I went to, I became an exchange student and I went to Germany in the nineties. And I was really, I didn't speak a word of German. I show up, and I at the end of the year speak better German than any of the other exchange students, including some people who'd had six, seven, eight years of German classes, including people that had a German speaking parent that didn't speak to them much, but you know, blah blah blah. So it turned out no, I was not bad at languages. I was bad at memorizing tables of French verbs that haven't been used since nineteen fourteen and you know, learning the past present subjunctive participles of my Spanish class, you know, I was bad at that. But talking to people in a foreign language turns out I was really damn good at that. So I wasn't necessarily a great student in school all the time, but I had to figure out how to get around the systems that were put in place that were not suitable for me, but were suitable for making really good assembly line workers or information workers in some respect. And that's what I found school was really doing. And I went to a pretty good school and set of schools in a good district. I think that At that point, though, in the 80s and 90s, good schools really were just the schools that were best at bringing kids to do well on standardized tests, which were tests that were designed to show how well you could memorize information. So I would do well on those, knowing that that's what those were. And so my parents were pretty excited for my future. But luckily, what I was really good at was actual learning. I just didn't know it.
0: No, I love that. And I wrote like teachers were wrong. My mom was a special ed teacher. And we've talked about this before, my mom and I about that's what I think our problem is in our society today. My mom's been long out of teaching is that schools are still doing those standardized testing. There's just a lot of stuff. If you were to go back to school today and offer a program as a teacher, what would you be teaching in school today to students? What would be like a recommendation for you?
1: Oh man, what would I teach? I would probably teach advanced learning skills or beginning learning skills for that matter. Like, hey, I know you think that just reading the chapter and you're going to remember some of it or reading the review questions or reading the chapter 18 times you remember all the information is useful. But how about we talk about what these subjects are. You learn about your learning style. Are you auditory? Are you visual? Do you need to write things out? Do you need to make flashcards for everything by hand? Do you need to graph things? Do you need to draw pictures of things? Do you need to sing freaking songs about things that rhymes that you remember them? That's what I would try to find with each student, because I think people would use that for the rest of their lives. I think people would actually use that stuff.
0: No, I definitely agree. And I appreciate you just giving it some language, too, because I think we all learn differently and there's no right or wrong. But I think we need to become adaptable to the way the students are learning today. And I love the fact that you were just like, right, if it works for you, it works for you. You talked about living abroad, yeah. learning Germany, learning German, all that type of stuff. But also like in your bio, it was kind of interesting of you've been kidnapped, you've been in war zones. Like there is a lot of gap in between living abroad and then all these things happening. A successful podcast host, getting married. We're gonna learn a lot about you today as we make the climb. What would you say was a pivotal moment in your 20s for you that you experienced that kind of set you on the path where you are today?
1: Sure, in my 20s, I mean, really the first big pivotal moment for me was, and I was only 17, was my exchange year in Germany. But if you want something that's specifically in my 20s, let me think for a second here. Probably, man, I did a lot of stuff in my 20s. I mean, I started my business in my 20s. I started my podcast in my 20s. I was a Wall Street attorney in my 20s, traveled a lot in my 20s. You know, I think I started to figure out in my 20s that the normal way of doing things was not for me and that that was also okay. Okay. Because the first thought you have when you go, oh, I like traveling and learning languages in the country. Oh, I like working on startup companies. I like working for nonprofits that don't have systems in place and figuring out some systems for these guys. Oh, I like interviewing people that are doing interesting things and starting my own sort of indie journalism, etc. You find out those things are for you, but usually what happens in a kid or a young adult's life is you find those things out And then you go, crap, how am I going to squeeze these into a traditional career? Or am I just going to be like a guy with weird hobbies? And that's problematic because it takes all these really brilliant, cool, creative people that have really great ideas. And they're like, oh yeah, you know, I want to be an elite endurance athlete, but I've got to balance it with my job of being an attorney. And I have this hobby of podcasting and running events where I teach people about training and nutrition, but I'm starting to it's starting to interfere with my day job as a lawyer. So I've got to tone those things down. And it's like, hey, did you ever think that maybe you shouldn't have been an attorney and maybe you should have been an elite level athlete teaching people how to train, do nutrition, et cetera, et cetera. And I think of my friend Rich Roll. And this guy was like an attorney for a long time. And you know, he's an elite vegan athlete that's super into health and training. And he spent so many years trying to be a lawyer and that. And then finally- I remember me and a million other people, of course, probably told them like, hey, why are you still doing that? You're trying to figure out how to balance your legal career with teaching all these other things that you're really passionate about, doing your podcast. I mean, what's the point? What the heck is the point? Why bother? You know, quit the other thing. But we have this sort of inertia or sunk cost fallacy where we say, but I've trained my whole life for this profession, or, which isn't really true anyway. Or I went and took the bar exam, or I started this company, or I've been working at Ford for 10 years, I can't quit now, you know, things like that. But really, we're trying to shoehorn all these really great human skills and proficiencies into some kind of traditional career, or we're trying to balance the two, and it doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense to me. So for me, figuring out that I had all these weird things that I was good at, maybe even great at, or had the potential to be great at was okay and I didn't have to also then figure out how to sandwich it into some traditional career that I was clearly not cut out to do. Cause it's like you're swimming upstream nine to five and then you're really in the zone for the one and a half hours a day that you can make time for your hobbies, or you're doing it for five hours but you're not sleeping and then you gotta get up and do your nine to five and you're thinking life is so tough. You know, it's like, no, it's okay to have these non-traditional careers. And a lot of people listening to this, they know that. But we still feel the pull, especially if you're a new entrepreneur, you still feel the pull or you feel like, oh, no, you know, I've got this non-traditional career that I really or this business that I really want to run. But I can't do this because of what other people will think or I'm already some I've already got some some cost. I've already passed the bar exam. All these things are pulling us in different directions. So it's not just a matter of being aware that you can do something else. It's giving yourself permission to do something else. It, luckily for me, it kind of happened early on because I got laid off from my Wall Street law firm, the whole first year associate class did because of the economic downturn. And I'd already started my old show that was called The Art of Charm and I already had run that business. And now with the Jordan Harbinger show, when people go, oh man, your other thing, you know, you separated from your partners and that business is, you know, failed or whatever. What are you going to do? Are you going to get a regular job? And I'm like, no, why would I ever do that? I now know what I can do. I'm literally never going to work for some random company it's not going to happen. It doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah. You talk a little bit about the split, but when you look back on your career 11 years ago, podcasting was like, nobody really was doing it in my opinion. like, right? I grew up in Silicon Valley in the 90s. I was on radio. Radio was the thing. And then XM and Sirius came out. But behind the scenes, podcasting was building and building and building. What were some of the early things you admired about podcasting and having the flexibility to just be free and speak your words and just put it out to the audiences in the world and have them download it? Just give me some feedback into that.
1: Yeah, so I was kind of lucky in the beginning because I did my podcast for about a year before getting picked up by Sirius XM Satellite Radio. I think it was still only Sirius at that point, and then they merged a couple of years later. But I got picked up by the radio, and I was still doing my podcast. So I really got a chance to be a podcaster, establish myself, run the podcast, and also do radio. And what I noticed about radio that I thought was really sort of held back in a lot of ways, or like really backwards, I guess I would say in a lot of ways was a lot of things would happen. Like I remember doing a video for Sirius XM. This is like more than 10 years ago, so I don't hold it against them now. But I remember doing a video for them and saying, this is going to go on our YouTube or whatever. I don't even know if YouTube existed. It was something like our YouTube or a video channel. We're going to put this on our website, et cetera. And I was showing somebody how to do something. And I showed an iPhone, It must have been ten years ago because the iPhone is ten years old. I showed somebody, I showed the iPhone in the video, and I remember somebody in the C-suite said, "You can't show Apple products because Apple is a competitor to our company." And I said, "That's ridiculous. You guys should have all of these radio channels, which are just data streams in a room twenty feet away from me. These should all be live streaming on the internet, and you should have an app that you give to all of your subscribers." that allow them to listen to these data streams for like either for free as part of the subscription or, and you should have an online only subscription. That's like five bucks a month or 10. And they were like, we'll do the business decisions around here, buddy. You know, you stay down there on your floor and you do your show. And I remember thinking like, you know, people don't want to listen to radio shows when you want to put them on. They're not waiting for a replay. They want to download things on demand. Why don't you have these radio shows on demand? After all, they're all saved on hard drives again in our server cluster, and again, they're all you know in this room here. We could just stream them. People could have premium content. None of this stuff they were interested in hearing. Eight that whatever. Five, six, seven, eight years later, there's an app. It plays all the shows. There's on demand content. There's premium content. There's online only subscriptions. And I remember going, uh, yeah. I told you guys about this literally more than half a decade ago and you know, you're behind the times and it's just, it's so, it was ridiculous to me to see that. So I got a chance to see kind of how slowly corporations moved, but also the primary difference between radio and podcasting. And what I admired in podcasting was not only was it agile, but anybody could sign up and do it. And now you look at the prevalence of let's say YouTubers on television Comedy videos, podcasters that are actually making money—a hell of a lot more money than a disc jockey or a talk show host on a radio station—almost all the time. And it's like, yeah, we all saw this coming. Of course, I saw this coming because I started a podcast that had a handful of listeners in 2006. Those listeners were paying five, six, seven, eight thousand dollars to come to my workshops and programs. And radios, I'd have to sell maybe 10 of those programs in a year to make more than your average radio talk show host. I was selling 10 programs in two months. So this tiny audience podcast that had a niche that cost me almost nothing to produce on a few hundred bucks equipment in a living room, that amount of effort, money, et cetera, created a seven figure business Most radio shows will never generate seven figures in revenue, ever.
0: I remember you said uh, money. I made $36,000 when I retired out of radio, right? $36,000. My first year as an entrepreneur, I made $250,000, right? So like I go, okay, what's the biggest difference, right? There was a gap. I appreciate it. Thank you for taking us down memory lane and just showing us what's possible. You told me about starting a podcast in your living room. That's still applicable today. You could literally start a podcast driving. I hope that you're not doing it while you're driving in your car, but you have the ability to record data today so much faster, ease of use, flexibility. I mean, if you set up a couple of little zaps, I mean, you could have your show live In a few hours, and every day, you could just say, hey, it's Tony time. And I appreciate it, Jordan, because I think you just gave great insight to the simplicity of it. And you said agile, but it's also the complexity that we face in our world is people are fearful of trying new things. And the word that I keep showing up for you is adaptability. You're just adaptable. You just figure it out. There's nothing holding you back. And you're like, sure, I'll try it. And I know that you had a journey of a long period of time. You built a podcast over 11 years. You had a slit that didn't work out perfect. But then all of a sudden, your friend asks you, hey, so what are you going to do? Go get a day job? And you're like, no, like I'm going to do what I can do, which is I have skills. And I love the fact that you're just making these pivots and you're finding yourself in something that you love. I mean, you're on a very big network. You have all of these resources around you. Let's talk a little bit about your podcast now, the Jordan the Harbinger Show. Let's talk about that because I think that's a big part of climbing up Success Mountain is because you had all of this going and then all of a sudden you didn't have all of these things going and you're like, now what am I going to do? Let's talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. Pretty much, I'll tell you. That's pretty much it. I felt like, how the heck am I going to climb back on top of the mountain, right? Because I'd been a podcaster for eleven years. I mean, obviously, I still am. But I, you know, when they split eleven and a half years, what am I going to do? My website had millions of people coming to it looking for the show. I, we're on every platform. You know, we had all these relationships and opportunities. So I talked with a mentor and friend of mine, Norm Pattis, over at podcast one. He was the founder of Westwood one. So one of the most powerful guys in showbiz slash radio, if you can call it radio showbiz at any point in the 20th century and 21st for that matter. And he said, what you need to do is not miss a beat. And in part of that was to please the advertisers that we had on podcast one on the Jordan Arbinger show, which were then taken over from the old show, which was called The Art of Charm. And so all those advertisers then left. And I said, what am I allowed to do here to my attorney? And he said, you got to tell everybody that you were terminated from the company. And I went, okay. And people go, what? you telling people that you got terminated and you had a nasty split. Like, that's not something you should be doing. And I thought, why? You know, I can either... I can either keep it to myself, people are going to find out anyway, and I can have a four-year recovery period that's brutal, long, and disingenuous, or I can make it known what's happened, have all my friends and family and business colleagues and peers rally around me and help me get back on the horse and have like an 18-month recovery period. You know, what's the big deal? And of course, as soon as I started talking about this, I realized not only did every entrepreneur have a story like this, but also... I got a ton of help from places that I never had any idea I was going to get help from. I got introductions to people I didn't know, like yourself, who are helping spread the word about the Jordan Harbinger show. The first month of the show got 1.3 million downloads or 1.4 million downloads. I mean, that took me years and years and years and years and years to get my old show up to that number. And that happened the first month of launch without buying ads, without using an email list, without having any social media, nothing. And is, of course, growing from there. And then, you know, in addition... I was also just, I was very much surprised to see that it felt good to talk about this kind of stuff and be vulnerable with it. Because if you don't talk about it, there's this sort of trend in the entrepreneur community that you've got to be this kind of like bulletproof, cool guy and like never let them see you take a punch. And that's not really how it is for any entrepreneur. So you become less relatable by pretending that you never have downward trends or that you never have a low moment. I think that's bad for you. I think it's bad for the community as a whole, but I think it's really bad for you to pretend like everything's okay, especially if you're suffering or stressed out or anxious, and you're not going to get the type of help you need to get back on the horse. So that whole thing with regrowing the show has been actually quite fun and interesting. Yes, there's anxiety. Yes, there's problems involved with it and big issues with it, but you know, it's something that is actually more of an opportunity than I had previously thought. And that's been really interesting and really exciting.
0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a quick break on Be Fulfilled. Jordan Harbinger joins us today. We're talking about kind of being adaptable, being flexible, starting from basically your network and reaching out and asking for help. And one of the biggest things that he shared too is being vulnerable. Your audience is going to find you more relatable too. They're going to actually want to rally around you and actually be on that same path and journey and mission with you and get behind you and emphasize everything that you're about, you don't just start a new podcast and day one, you know, without a list and a lot of campaigning behind you, you get to 1.4 million downloads. So he's doing something right. We're going to be right back to find out more with Jordan right after this. Are you suffering from marketing dysfunction? Are you not able to perform online as well as you could when you were younger? Unable to keep up with the intimate demands of buying product, running offers, and shipping items to your customers? Say hello to Ship Offers, Clinically proven to enhance the growth and longevity of your business. Get some today at ShipOffers.com. All right, Tony Gripmeyer, we are back on the Be Fulfilled show. Today's guest, Jordan Harbinger from the Jordan Harbinger show. We're talking about I think so many things that are super important for an entrepreneur, and you can use this as life lessons, no matter where you're at, like no matter what you're going through, I want you to pause for just a moment and realize you're not alone on your journey. This is an opportunity today for you to understand that Jordan's gone through some crazy stuff throughout his life. But the one thing he said coming onto the show, he was talking that he could talk himself out of anything and he could also talk himself into anything by, I really think, just just having the ability to ask people and have this charisma and character to just say, hey, look, you know, this happened and people are like, well, let's, we want to help you. And fine, how do you take the help and put it into good use and find yourself bouncing back from even those sleepless nights, those nights of waking up, feeling uncertain about your life and going, what the heck am I doing? But I also know that this man has an incredible support system around him. So Jordan, what I'd love to do is get from you, extract some helpful tips that anybody listening today could be applying to their life around your network and what you've been able to use your network. And I use the word use in a different way, using it as like a key, like unlocking doors that were once closed. You're just like, well, hey, I'm going to just try the knock. I'm going to knock on the door. I'm going to ask people today and see what happens.
1: Yeah, I would love to talk about that because I think one of the super important lessons, I've been teaching networking and relationship development skills for over a decade. But I think the important thing to remember is that we often say things like dig the well before you're thirsty. But the thing is, we never think we're actually going to be thirsty. Right, we never want to be thirsty, that's for damn sure. And we're always like, Oh, okay, you know, dig the well before you're thirsty, give it without the expectation of anything in return. But then when it comes down to asking for what we want, a lot of us don't know how to do it, or we don't want to do it, or we're feeling shy about doing it, or we haven't been practicing what we preached. But one thing that is just saving my ass right now, man, is the fact that I always had dug the well before I was thirsty. You know, I've always helped other people get what they want without the attachment to them helping me back. And, you know, at first I thought networking is a part, you are born into this secret club, you know, your parents know everybody, blah, blah, blah. But I realized you, you really do have to learn this stuff manually. And if you don't learn it, you're not really immune to the consequences of not learning it. You're just kind of being willfully ignorant of the secret game that's being played around you by other people. So just being so thankful right now that I had managed to practice what I preach. I want to share some of the things that have created the network that I have now in part that I think people could really use. And I, of course, I have more stuff like this on my website and we could talk about that later. If you're up for a plug later on in the show, but in the meantime, I want to teach what I've been using at least to some degree. And one thing that I do every day, and this is just a really simple thing so people can get an idea here. One thing that I do every day, I open up my phone usually I do this from bed. I open up my phone. I scroll all the way down into my the bottom of my text message thread. You know, when you scroll down to the people you like had lunch with once at a conference two years ago, and there's the text thread in there that's like cafe gratitude, 12 PM. I go in there and i pick picked three or four people and I send them a message along the lines of, Hey man, been a long time. Haven't spoken to you in ages. Hope this finds you well. What are you up to these days? I haven't heard from you in a million years. By the way, this is Jordan Harbinger of the Jordan Harbinger show, just in case you didn't have your number saved in my phone. Because what you want to avoid is new phone, who dis, and or the other thing where it's like, oh, crap, I don't know who this is. I'm not going to answer because maybe they're trying to sell me some Scientology or whatever, right? So you tell them who you are, and you can also say no worries if you don't have time to reply. That helps because a lot of people go, oh, well, okay, it's not a sales pitch, it may be just a little bit of a check-in. That's cool. And what I found is that actually increases the likelihood of a reply from most people. What that does is I'd say 60% of people reply to those. There's a lot of people that just never write back or it takes them like a week, which is fine. I don't care. Not everybody's a texter and some people just don't care about networking, don't care about relationships or don't want to hear from you for some other reason. So I do that every single day to three or four people and it starts a conversation, at least one or two, every single day with somebody that I haven't spoken to in a really long time. And it's really low stakes. But what I will say is just about every week, one of those conversations turns into yeah, you know, I just got married and blah, blah, blah. And my wife and I are going on the honeymoon and we're going to such and such. And I go, oh, I used to live there. I know someone there. When you go there, you got to try this thing. And it really does sort of rekindle this, I would say a dormant contact. And that's really worth your time, especially because the other thing you might be doing on your phone, trying to wake up early in the morning is checking Reddit, Facebook, tweeting, reading about some BS drama in the news, like this is a much better use of your time and it takes literally minutes. The other thing that I like to do on a regular basis is really absorb the mindset of helping other people without the attachment of anything in return. This is not something that I invented. You know, this is much more Zig Ziglar or something it's like help other people get what they want and then you can get what you want or Brian Tracy. But a lot of people nowadays, especially are so ABC, right? A always, B, B, C closing, right? Everyone saw Glenn, Gary Glenn Ross and then went like, oh, I'm going to be aggressive about this. I'm more ABG, always be giving or always be generous. And what this does is if I'm thinking about how to help other people and I'm not worried about how they're going to help me, it opens up a lot of opportunity because if I'm a graphic designer and I'm only looking for people who need graphics, that's one in a hundred people. But if I'm figuring out how to plug everybody that I meet into somebody else in my network, that's everyone. If I meet a cryptocurrency investor, I might plug him into a CPA who's going to help him avoid going to prison for tax evasion, right? Like we're going to be able to make these connections. And what you find is that by doing so, there are all these opportunities over the horizon that you couldn't see otherwise. So, you know, you might connect the cryptocurrency investor to the CPA and then the CPA says something like, oh, hey- you know, thanks for that opportunity. It's really cool to get a client. By the way, do you know this person? They're having an event in Vegas during the same time that I know you're going to be there. You should pop by and meet all these other speakers. You'd never get that opportunity because that person would never think Jordan might be in Vegas. You know, it comes up organically as part of the conversation. Oh, Jordan lives in San Jose, California. He should go do this thing. It comes up as part of that connection inside your network. And that also helps you create and maintain relationships on a scalable level. You know, going back to the graphic designer example, if you're just trying to help people with graphics, you're only getting that one in a hundred opportunity, but then you've got to make those people, their stinking graphics. But if I'm just connecting two pieces, two nodes of my network to each other, I'm building social capital from each of those two people every single time because they both, and I'm putting this in air quotes because we just talked about not getting any, anything in return. They both owe me one, right? So- I can do that 10 times a day and it doesn't cost me more than the time it takes to send a text or email introduction. Whereas if I'm trying to make graphics for five people, 10 people a day, that's my whole workday. I'm going to go broke and be homeless before my network spits anything back at me by way of business or ROI, so to speak. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. and, And this is the gift, right? So a mutual friend connected us I literally said yes the moment I saw your name come across. So I was like, please, however I could be of service, that's why I got out of bed today is contribution. So I really line up with the ABG, right? So many people want something in return. They need something for the transaction. They think, oh, the transaction, you know, I'm buying something. No, it's abs for me. Always be sharing because you never know how you can help people. And that's what I love about what we just talked about is the importance of a network. I visualize the, hey, three or four messages, scroll to the bottom, connecting people, checking in. I love the piece about your name because I do know a lot of people who get a new phone and they're like, Hey, uh, who is that? You know, I don't know. So you're creating a context of a conversation that's really simple. You're giving from the very beginning. People always say like, why do you do what you do? I'm like, well, because I've been given this day and I don't want to waste it and I want to connect with people who literally have the same kind of wavelength as me and they share in the same passion and they want to help people. I've already got rid of all the people who are the takers. All the takers out of my life are completely gone. I don't even, if they show up, they haven't been vetted and that means that somebody, the gatekeeper didn't do a good job getting them to me. So I make sure that I'm surrounded by people who genuinely want to give some of their time and their effort to help people. And that's why I lined up so perfectly with the ABG because I think that's always be giving But I also think that's also be grateful for everything you're going through. Like the storm you went through to launch your podcast and everything that you had to go through in the wave of emotions. Well, you got 1.4 million downloads in your first month. So something's working and people are actually liking you and want to be connected to you. So obviously, whatever you're doing is working. So anybody listening going, well, that's not, I can't do that. You can do anything you want. You could sit on the toilet and tweet out five messages. You could text your friends. You could call people you haven't connected with. So that connection, that being adaptable. Thank you, Jordan. I mean, straightforward stuff. A lot of people think, oh, it takes a lot of work. Well, to get 1.4 million downloads, it did take a lot of your work and a lot of time and your effort. How big is your team around you? I know you have a producer, but how big is the team around you?
1: Yeah. So I actually ended up, I was very fortunate when I did this split or when the split happened to take almost the entire team away from the other company with me, which has been phenomenal. I would say podcast wise, there's five of us that are full-time working on the podcast itself, but behind the business with the new marketing, customer service, web design and site management, IT, the absence we're releasing. If you add us all together, there's around 30. Now, some of them are freelancers or I should say working on other projects outside the company, because I can't afford to pay every single person in a brand new business for full-time work, especially if there's not work to be done for some specific people like graphics folks and those kinds. But I would say, yeah, 30 or more is really what we're dealing with here. We've got a lot of really great people that we've been working with for years. So looking back, I was really, that was one of the biggest fears that I had was that I was going to find myself on the outside of the old company and just be alone but I was very fortunate. Not exactly a Jerry Maguire moment. It just sort of went down differently, but I was able to take everybody with me and it wasn't my idea. It was actually their idea. So that's why I said, it's not exactly a Jerry Maguire moment because instead of who's coming with me, it was, we're coming with you. And I thought that was pretty damn cool.
0: Yeah. Cause I mean, the goldfish is the only thing that he took. Right. And so here, everything, everybody wants right. to just swim with you upstream everybody wants to swim today with you. I do want to plug your website. I think some of the stuff you're doing, I love the tagline too: upgrade your mind with wisdom from the most brilliant people. Your podcast is phenomenal. Your guests are outstanding. The things that you're doing, podcast one, all of the cool things that you get to be, just show who you are today. And I appreciate you coming on and just giving value. Always plug the guest. If you're listening, hey, I want to learn more about Jordan. You can go to jordanparbinger.com. We'll put stuff in the show notes. What I'd love to do is flip the script, throw you into the fulfillment round. There's no phone a friend. There's no, I don't know. You're witty. You can figure out some cool huh. things to answer. Bye. So if you're ready, uh, about five to 10 questions in the fulfillment round, however you play out, I keep playing. So if we're on the like tag and we're just doing well, we're going to keep playing. And at the very end, I'm going to come back and ask you for one piece of advice that you would leave for the world if today was the last day of your life, something that you would want the world to know about you. So here's your chance to share it. So if you're ready for the fulfillment round, it's really basic. You ready to have some fun? Let's do it. All right, the biggest lesson you learned in your year in Germany studying
1: abroad. I learned that if you're gonna be happy and have things happen your way or in a way that you like, it's up to you. And I'll qualify that a little bit. I spent the first three months sulking about how much it sucked and how much I didn't have any friends and how everyone you know, wasn't cool and didn't live up to my expectations. And I remember one day going, yeah, this is all my fault. I'm the one who has the power to change this. And as soon as I really internalized that, I could stop sulking and sending nasty wham, 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 poor me emails back to my family, and I started having the time of my freaking life.
0: Favorite foods while living in Germany that you discovered?
1: Oh, man. Germans, I don't know what it is. Maybe they don't use preservatives or something, but I felt like everything I ate was fresh, and I lost a crap load of weight, even though all I was doing was hanging out and drinking beer, and I got back to America And I started eating what I thought was healthy and working out at the gym every day. And I got fat as hell. So I don't know what's in the food over in the States, but whatever it is, is not in the food in Germany. I never felt better while I was over there.
0: You uh, talked your way out of being kidnapped. Tell Tell me a good line you used during that process that got you out of being kidnapped, at least in your opinion.
1: Yeah, one of the things that I said, but it wasn't of course about what I said. One of the things that I said was, do you really think I had anything to do with that? I'm just a kid. And I was 25, but what these guys that were angry about was the US bombing Serbia at the time. And so it caused them to get back into a rational thought process and think about that. And then also think that what all the things they were doing was actually to a kid. And they started to feel guilty. They started to think rationally instead of just being angry. And that was one of the things that allowed me to create an opportunity to escape.
0: Do you, I think it's, it's so interesting to be able to talk to somebody who was in that position, looking back on your life from, I don't even know how old you are. How old are you? I'm 38 now. So 13 years from that, does it still go through your mind that you were actually kidnapped like on a daily basis? Is that something that you would
1: find yourself? No, I don't think about it that much. I do think about it a lot, but not that much. I don't have nightmares about it anymore. Very often. I still do occasionally. But usually the nightmares went from like the scary kind of nightmare to the fantasy type of nightmare where instead of escaping, I basically chop them up or do something nasty because I'm pissed off still about it. I'm just being honest, man. I still think about it. But now at this point I beat the snot out of them instead of just running away because I still wouldn't, there's still a part of me that would like to just beat the snot out of those two guys.
0: Well, you've had an interesting career as a podcaster. You've had the talks with Shaquille O'Neal Tony Hawk. I mean, you just talk about some of these amazing guests from even Larry King. Have any of these guests left you just like, wow, I want more. I can't wait to have them on my show again. And have you had them on your old show transfer over to your new show? Have you had some guests that were just so memorable that
1: you're like, I remember that conversation. I want to do it again. Yeah, actually one recent, it's never the people that you think though. Like, look, I love Shaq. I love all those celebrities and things like that. But one of the most interesting guests I had recently was David Eagleman. He's a neuroscientist and he's invented a vest and a bracelet that allows deaf people to hear using touch. So you and I are talking, we have a deaf friend standing next to us let's say they can't read our lips because they can't see our mouths or something, or we're listening to a talk, the vest vibrates in these very specific ways. And so does the bracelet. And over a period of time, they can learn what those sensations are and translate them to sounds and words. So what the conversation that we had most recently on the Jordan Harbinger show was, so if that is superior to having a non-working human ear then eventually it'll be superior to a working human ear. That means that, and if the brain can learn to hear through touch, that means we can learn to see, taste, hear, and feel through everything else other than touch or our eyes. How long until we have superpowers? And he was like, not that far along. Like we're looking at the future of human sensory input. Our brain can handle more than our eyes and ears can send to it. We could be able to feel objects coming from a hundred yards away. You might be able to feel a car coming at you. Uh, You might be able to feel the weather report in real time without looking at the sky. I know that sounds dumb. Like it's raining. Yeah. Put your hand out. It's wet. Okay. There's water coming from the sky. But I mean, you might be able to find things that you can see, feel, and hear that normally you'd have to Google or look up online or that you could never find out in real time. We might be able to have devices that are small enough to fit inside our ear or wearing on a shirt that creates superhuman sight or hearing. And those are right around the corner. And I thought that was pretty damn interesting. No, that's fascinating. All right, where'd you meet your wife at? She was a fan of the show and I met her because she shared something about the show on Twitter and I found it and I tweeted back and we started talking. And then we met up days before she moved back to the Bay Area. I decided to do some sort of long distance dating thing. And then eventually I said, to hell with LA, I'm sick of this place anyway, moved up to the Bay and I didn't have a place to live. So I got a place and you know how that is when you get your own place, your girlfriend Moves in with you for lack of, even if she pretends she's living at her place. And then uh, dot, 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 we got married. Oh, one day her dad calls and goes, uh, you guys should buy a house. And I went, yeah, eventually. And he goes, no, I'm literally in line at a new construction site right now where they're showing a model home. It's It right, happens to be right in our neighborhood. Why don't you drive down from the city of San Francisco and take a look? I drove down to the house, took a look at it. And he goes, what do you think? I said, it's nice. And he goes, great, you should buy it. So I literally bought that house probably putting more decision making power into what I had for breakfast that morning than into making my first home purchase. But he was, he knew real estate. He knew that was a good purchase and I did it. And I ended up buying a house and getting married. And and now that I look back at it, I'm like, Oh, you Asian parents are tricky. You had this plan all along and I fell right into it. Uh, But it's the best thing that ever happened to me. I asked this
0: earlier to a guest. What was the thing when you first got to meet this girl who eventually became your wife? What was she wearing the very first time you got together? Do you remember that? Can you take me to that moment? And here's why I ask. It isn't so much for you. It's that women, that's who I'm married to. I'm married to a woman. I always remember what she was wearing. I can take me and I can visualize that. Can you take that for a moment and tell me what the first time you ever saw her, what was that like?
1: Yeah, I wore, you know, it's funny. I, I, I remember I didn't like a lot. I didn't really like what she was wearing. I mean, I liked it on her, but I she still has it. It's this pink top with these ruffles on it. And I'm always like, I don't love that top. And she's like, yeah, me neither. But it's got sentimental value. And I just thought, this is really funny. You could have worn anything, but she had already packed up to move up north. So she only had like a gym t-shirt yoga clothes and then this pink shirt and so she wore that and now it's like the thing that she wore when we met and neither of us neither of us are a big fan but it was a pink top with these ruffles on it and jeans and um it's kind of a funny article of clothing that she was probably going to donate but ended up being first date attire instead all right two last questions not your show and you will get a chance to listen
0: to some podcasts what kind of shows would you find yourself listening to I listen to,
1: do you know, Impact Theory with Tom Bilyeu? Yep. That's a really good show. He's just a really good dude. Super smart. Really interested in what he has to say. I also listen to, man, I've got a lot of podcasts on here. I also listen to Waking Up with Sam Harris. And I love Sam Harris, but I got to say, sometimes the guy's too smart for his own good and I have no idea what the hell he's talking about. I skip those (laughs) after about 10 minutes in. If I don't understand what we're talking about, next
0: You talked a little bit about your morning routine. Do you have an evening routine before you go to bed that you'd like to share?
1: Sure, I actually play dumb iPhone games and or watch Vice News, watch some comedy. I wear my blue blocker lenses. I take my nighttime vitamin pack. I got these on it, you know, nighttime vitamin packs. And I wind down because I found that when I was in college, man, I used to be able to just go to bed one second after studying, Now I can't do that. I can't go from checking email to crash. I've got to have this wind down or my mind keeps racing and it doesn't slow down the racing. It's since I'm laying in bed and I think this is entrepreneur stuff, man, you got to tell me if you get this. Since I'm laying down and not doing anything else, my mind races more if I don't have the wind down period. It doesn't race less. So I have to do dumb, stupid stuff for like 30 to 45, maybe even an hour before bed Otherwise, I might be up for four hours taking notes on my phone and checking this and Googling this. And, oh, what? yeah, how much are Quora advertisements? And are they more expensive than LinkedIn? How effective are these? Wait a minute. Why am I doing this at 1 a.m.? And I just can't shut it off. So my evening routine, blue blockers so that I can watch stuff, usually watch the news, play a dumb game on my iPhone that requires zero brain power. Then I'm just bored and I'm like, I'm, I'm going to sleep. I'm over it.
0: All right. Ladies and gentlemen, Jordan Harbinger joins us today. Got through the Fulfillment Round. Congratulations. No phone a friend needed today. You figured it out. You made it. I want to ask one last question for you and then we'll end the show. Some piece of advice you picked up along the way, something that's been impactful. Maybe it's something that you heard while listening to impact theory with Tom Bilyeu, something along the way, you even mentioned a Zig Ziglar quote, something that you have been able to use during those tough times that you can fall back on, you know, like it's never quit on a bad day, like whatever that piece of advice is. Could you share that with the community? Sure.
1: One thing that I like to do consistently is any situation that I find myself in or that I can even imagine finding myself in, I will make a list of five to 10 people that I think could help me with that situation. And I reach out to them before, ideally, before I find myself in that situation. So if I think, oh, man, you know, what if I did get a really weird, unknown disease or allergy, who would I call? Who do I know that knows a lot about medical stuff? And I make a list of five people. They don't have to be doctors. They can just be wellness people that are in my network somewhere. I'll make a list of those people and I reach out to them now before I need anything specifically. And that helps me because eventually you run into some issue like, oh, what if I did need to learn about Facebook ads? Who would I call these five people? So then if I ever do need help with any part of my business or personal life, I'm not making that list for the first time while I'm freaking out. I'm not going, hey, so uh, I know I haven't talked to you in five years, but I really need help with this one random thing. It's part of digging the well before you're thirsty. And it's really, really, really easy to do. You just have to actually put it on your phone and do it and then shoot those people a text or an email. And most of this stuff takes minutes. And most of us, the vast majority of us are just too lazy to do it.
0: All right, Jordan Harbinger, the power of... Don't be the guy who procrastinates. Build today, dig the well long before you need it. I learned a lot. I think from the very beginning, the lessons that I learned today from you being our teacher, our guide, our Sherpa, the way to get through and navigate through life is plan ahead. Don't wait to pack your parachute on the way down. So many people do that and then they go, oh, crap, not enough time and boom, it's over. You were packing the entire time we were walking together and you know, literally I got a chance to watch something open up right before my eyes today, which was a giver, a networker, somebody who's adaptable, somebody who literally is Knows a lot of people and he's well versed in everything that he needs to know to be in the survival game. And I think I got a chance to hang with MacGyver in a lot of ways today because I figured it out throughout this entire process of walking up Success Mountain and down. Just your ability to overcome any obstacle placed in front of you and the ability to keep pushing forward. I love the fact that you said yes to uh, your father in law, soon to be father in law at the time of like, sure, I'll get the house no matter what. Like, and you said you put more thought into breakfast, more or less than that, because you know, along the way, you already in the right spot. You already felt everything that you needed. Like there was nothing that you really needed to do, but you said yes. And I wanted to say thank you for saying yes to coming on the show today. Thanks for allowing the audience to get to know you a little bit better with the fulfillment round. Thanks for being a teacher. So thank you very much for your time.
1: Thank you, man. I really appreciate the opportunity. And it's just an honor to be able to chat with you and your peeps and hopefully teach them some of those relationship building lessons that, you know, I've been doing for a while, but as with most things that we learned to change our lives, we wish we'd been doing for three decades instead of one. Definitely. All right, ladies and gentlemen, go subscribe to the Jordan
0: Harbinger Show. You can do that today at jordanharbinger.com. You can learn on iTunes, download, also subscribe. I always am a big giver, so I want you to make sure you do that. Leave a review, say you heard about him on Be Fulfilled. If you don't know who he is today, that'll know that his reach is making an impact in the world because that's the thing that he said very much in the very beginning about success is an impact. So go be an impact, go change the world no matter where you guys go today, no matter what you do. Make today the best day of your life. Thanks for listening to today's show. But before you go, let me ask you a question. How would you like to be the architect of your journey in this game we call life? Take the next step now at trainersanddrivers.com and download my free mini course designed to give you more clarity and freedom in your day. It might just change your life forever. Forever.